Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. We talked about puberty, we're prepared for the baby-making years, but in a world in which education, knowledge and being informed is recognised as hugely important, it's extraordinary that historically we haven't talked much about the menopause. And yet, this is a challenging part of life that pretty much all of us women will experience. And so today, I'm delighted to change that. In the next in a series of podcasts sponsored by the Portland Hospital, I'm honoured to welcome Miss Rebecca Gibbs, a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist specialising in the menopause and HRT, to have a conversation that all of us, and in that I include men, need to be having. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Why do you think we find it so hard to talk about the menopause? That's a really interesting question. Um, And actually, I have had to learn during my training to just talk about it. Um, I think we find it embarrassing. I think anything to do with the reproductive system, to do with sex and people's bodies, always has a little bit of a taboo nature to it. Um, But I think there are also some deeper cultural problems with it as well. Um, Women are valued in Western society for their fertility, so motherhood and sexuality. And there are all these awful stereotypes of older women being old hags, all those stories about witches, which really influence how we feel about the aging process. So it's a mixture of things, but it's tied up in everything about us as a society. I know, because I, you know, I've done quite a lot of, I've had quite a lot of conversations around sort of puberty and this idea that, you know, getting your period, it's a real privilege to get it. And I can see how you can spin that, you know, this is the next chapter of your life. This is what, you know, gives you your superpower. And yet for the menopause, I suppose it's saying goodbye to that. And a bit like, you know, it's one thing to talk about sex when you're sort of young and free and it's all quite glamorous, but no one talks about sex after you've had a child. No one does at all. There's no kind of sex in the city type kind of you know glamorous you know New York girls talking about it at all and and actually it's I'm sure it's sort of rooted in that as well. I absolutely agree with you some of my colleagues and I think it's sort of a language translating quirk but colleagues who've trained on the Indian subcontinent will often describe to me as well use the phrase achieved menopause rather than has gone through the menopause and I find that actually really celebratory and positive a woman has achieved menopause achieved the status of you know a new phase of life but we tend not to see it that way most of the time 
Yeah, well, you're right. It's a privilege to right. actually have the longevity of life. Because when we, we're one of the few species that actually experience the menopause, that live long enough to experience it, aren't we? We are. So a great menopause fact is that humans, killer whales and pilot whales are, we think, the only species that go through the menopause. Um, we are obviously quite different to slippery sea mammals in lots of ways. But ultimately, it's all about being long lived species that live in family groups. And there's this sort of thought that there's an evolutionary benefit um, to competing less for resources and grandmothers helping to raise grandchildren and going through the menopause sort of triggers that side of things. Obviously, there's probably far more to it than that. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. That's the thought behind it. Yeah, you're right. A bit like the period. It should be it should be celebrated. I love that idea of, of achieving the menopause. <laughs> you need to rebrand it. We do, we do. Well, and actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about debunking myths, um, because I think there are so many myths around the, the menopause. So much of what we know about the menopause is rooted in kind of fiction and drama and certainly known quite a lot about childbirth, I know that the accuracy level is pretty low uh, when it yeah. comes to kind of relying on Hollywood and, and you know, movies to uh, to tell you what childbirth is like. Mm -hmm. And I presume then for the menopause, that is quite the, quite the same. And the first thing I really wanted to ask was, is it really awful? Because I do feel that that is what we're led to believe and possibly why we don't want to talk about it, because secretly we're all dreading kind of getting fat and hairy and unattractive <laughs> and, and being miserable bitches to our husbands. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a huge variety of experiences. And I think it's one of those things, actually, being a doctor, I tend to see women who are having a hard time of it. it. It's a bit like childbirth when you're an obstetrician, you're dealing with the really tricky cases, you don't see the women having really wonderful experiences on the birth centre. And so I do see women who are having a tough time. But Actually, many women never need to see a healthcare professional at all as they go through their menopause journey. There's this myth out there that Japanese women don't ever experience any menopausal symptoms. And that's probably due to a combination of their diet. So a traditional diet, Japanese diet is naturally full of plant phytoestrogens, which are probably very good for menopausal symptoms. And there will be some genetic factors there as well. Um, and I, I, you know, I challenge that idea a little bit because there will be women from that part of the world who do suffer terrible symptoms and perhaps won't necessarily get the help that they need um but lots and lots of women do have a notice a bit of a change but manage to just get through it and it's just done um it's really really hard to know exactly how it's going to be for you so i think being prepared is really important does anyone feel better on the menopause so actually that's a really good question and some women do some women have an awful time with really tricky periods or with conditions like endometriosis and although they might still get menopausal symptoms suddenly having that monthly torment turned off oh god that's wonderful isn't it that's a really positive thing so yes it's not awful for everyone and what about when the menopause happens? I've heard that there's a, 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 a strong um, uh, inherited aspect as to when the menopause will happen. But broadly, is that true? And otherwise, broadly speaking, when do women experience the menopause? So that's another really interesting one. The average age for going through the menopause is 51 in the UK. And there's a little bit of variance amongst women of different ethnicities. But, you know, 50 
but 51 is average. And it's usually between about 45 and 55. Now, there is a bit of an association with, you you know, when your mum went through the menopause. And it's definitely worth, if you have the opportunity to, having a chat with your mum and seeing what happened for her and when it happened. I suppose this is the moment to bring in a definition of exactly what the menopause is. And we say that someone has been through the menopause when they've had no period for one year. And that's a little bit confusing because a lot of the time when we talk about the menopause, we're talking about menopausal symptoms and they can start a lot earlier than that. And so for a lot of women, that's what we call the perimenopause. Lasts on average four years, but can be longer, can be much, much shorter. And again, that does have a bit of an association with when your mum went through it too. So families do tend to have fairly similar patterns off the menopause, um, but it's not you know, an exact thing. You can't predict it very precisely. And, you know, another thing to, to sort of bear in mind too is that it's often referred to as the change. So we are talking about this transition period yes. as opposed to the whole period of time where you are no longer fertile. You're not going to be menopausal from now on. You're menopausal as your body is, transfor- is, as tra- is transitioning into this infertile period in, in yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. Your ovaries don't just switch off overnight. Um, All of the menopause symptoms that women get and that we'll talk about are to do with the ovaries producing less estrogen, that female hormone that we all need. And so as your ovaries wind down over a period of a few years, you will start to experience symptoms. If you're very lucky, minimal. If you're unfortunate, possibly quite a few. And that's what makes up what we tend to talk about as the menopause. Yeah. And I know that there are women who have not had all their children or not necessarily even had children yet, who are worried about menopause starting before they're ready for it. Mm. Can it happen very early? And can it happen without symptoms? Can it catch you unawares? It can. So unfortunately, there are women who go through the menopause incredibly young. Um, One woman in 100 goes through the menopause below the age of 40, one in 1,000 below the age of 30, and one in 10,000 below the age of 20. Um, I do some volunteer work for a charity called the Daisy Network, and we support women going through what we actually call premature ovarian efficiency. We try not to call it premature menopause, Um, and that's literally what it is. The ovary's not working well enough at the time when you would expect them to. And some of these women their periods will, you know, might start as a teenager, but never really establish, and then they stop. Other women get proper symptoms and go through a more traditional menopause, but certainly far younger than they're expecting to. It's rare, but I really do want to, you know, make sure that whilst we're talking, that if anyone's listening to this and hears that they're, you know, they think they are going through the menopause younger than they would expect, not to ignore it and to seek some medical attention because it really is important to get investigated if that's you. And is it possible to kind of put a pause on the menopause if is there anything you can do about it? So unfortunately not. So women who go through the menopause very, very young, so have premature ovarian insufficiency, they need to start on hormone replacement therapy. Um, And that's because if you go through those changes very early, you're missing out on chances for your body to lay down good, strong bone density. And there are implications for your cardiac health um, and for things like uh, the risk of developing dementia. Now, you cannot 
at the moment turn your ovaries back on successfully. There are lots and lots of trials and treatments happening, but lots of these women will need fertility treatment. And whether they're lucky enough to catch it early and use their own eggs or whether they need donor eggs to get pregnant, unfortunately, that is the main source of treatment. And do you always know when you're going through the menopause, for example, um, I know that the intrauterine device, the the Mirena coil, as as the brand name is, is a very popular form of contraception, especially for women who are maybe slightly older, have had their children or between children. But I know that, I mean, that will often stop your periods. So would you always know if you were going through the menopause or the perimenopause? You know what, that is a practical challenge that we do deal with quite a lot. Um, I love the Mirena coil. Most gynecologists do. They're not for every woman, but they're a really popular method of contraception that you never have to think about again once it's fitted. And they're great for controlling tricky periods. And lots of women going through the perimenopause will have really troublesome periods. They might come more often. They might be heavier. Um, But these intrauterine systems can really help sort things out. The problem is, is that you might not have periods when you've got one in. So this is one of the rare cases where you might need to use blood tests to diagnose the menopause. We tend not to use blood tests in the general population as, you know, we know it's happening. Um, We expect women's periods to stop in their late 40s, early 50s. And we're very prepared for that. But if you've got a Mirena coil in situ, you might want to think about a blood test in your early 50s to look at your follicle stimulating hormone levels. Or you might just want to keep it in and keep it in place and get it removed in your mid 50s when you can be pretty certain that you've been through the menopause. A lot of women want to know, and it's it's a fairly common request um, for people who are very happy with their Mirena coil to be asked to organise a blood test and, you know, your GP can do that or, or, or your other gynecologist can sort that out. And is that blood test um, absolutely accurate? So can it tell no. really accurately? <laughs> this is the problem. And this is why we don't really like blood tests when it comes to the menopause. So again, it's about your ovaries not switching off in a uniform function. And you can have months where you've got sort of good hormonal ovarian activity and you can have months when not much is happening. And the worry is, is that if you're doing a blood test, you simply get a snapshot of what's happening at that moment rather than the overall trend. So if you are in your early 50s, Mirena coil in situ, and you have a blood test showing a relatively high level of follicle stimulating hormone, we're quite happy that, you know, you are probably menopausal. But if you have a level and it comes back reasonably low, well, you're probably going to have to think about have that repeat, having that repeated again at some point. So it can be really tricky to work your way around it. Essentially, if you've got your coil in, you love it, you're happy with it keep it there and have a bit of a think about other menopausal symptoms. And if you don't have any menopausal symptoms and you've got the coil in, uh-huh. do you need to know? Is there, a, is, there, is there a reason? Could you just bury your head in the sand and go, well, I feel fine and I don't have any symptoms and I uh-huh. may be going through the perimenopause or it might be the menopause, but do I need to know? No. So it's really difficult, isn't it? Because lots of women will really want to know and I completely respect that. It's an interesting interesting thing to know about yourself. And as we've already mentioned, I think people should be talking to their mums about the menopause and what age it happened for them. 
And there's always this question, well, you know, how am I going to tell my daughter when I went through the menopause? Pretty much every doctor you meet in that decade of your life is going to ask, so have your periods stopped? Have you been through the menopause? And you might not know. Actually, I think what tends to happen practically is that um, Marina coil lasts for five years. And so if you have one fitted in your mid 40s, at some point in your early 50s, you're going to go and see a gynecologist to think about getting it changed or maybe see your GP. And at that point, a natural conversation will happen about whether you have it removed and see what's happening with your bleeding or whether you have it removed and replaced with another one, which will you know, get you through the next little bit of life and can be used as part of hormone replacement therapy. Um, women don't need contraception after the age of 55. And some women, if they've been sure that they've been through the menopause, can stop using contraception a bit earlier than that. So in the end, I think for most women, it ends up being a very practical decision based around the expiry date of their intrauterine system. And so we tend not to worry about it too much. But if you're very interested and very keen to know what's happening, then yeah, blood tests might be the answer. And you mentioned obviously symptoms being another oh. kind of good indicator of what's happening. What kind of symptoms would we be looking for? So there is a huge, huge variety of symptoms of the menopause. I think if you go out and ask a random sample of people, you know, what symptoms women get, people will tell you quite quickly about hot flushes and night sweats. Um, so three out of four women, three quarters, will experience some hot flushes during the menopause. My American patients call them hot flashes, and I actually much prefer that because that's what it feels like. You know, there you are doing normal things, having a normal day, wearing an appropriate amount of clothing, and out of the blue, this horrible sort of rising heat appears. And it's not a comfortable warmness. I think hot flushes sort of romanticizes it and makes it feel quite pleasant. But it's anything but. And that's incredibly common. Now, when that happens at night, what can then happen? You know, you're all wrapped up under your duvet. People will find that they experience these horrible drenching sweats and, and can become very uncomfortable. And patients talk to me about having to get up and change their pyjamas, change their bedding um, because they are drenched through, which it's just miserable because sleep is so important. Sleep is what makes us function and human and get through the day. Um, and it can be really, really distressing. At this point, I want to emphasize that very few of my patients come through with the whole laundry list of symptoms I'm about to talk about. And most people, you know, sort of pick from a little sample of the menopause buffet and have different symptoms. But not only have you got the night sweats that can affect your sleep, some women do get an insomnia around the menopause. Um, classically, people drift off to sleep okay, but then will wake up very early in the morning and not be able to get to sleep. Um, vaginal dryness is very common, less interest in sex, so a lower libido. Um, skin change, which is one that we don't always think about, but menopausal skin is just different and people can sometimes get quite itchy and irritated and find their skin suddenly very sensitive. Headaches and migraines can get worse. Um, a change in pelvic floor function, increased frequency of urinary tract infections, um, and a change in bladder habits. So I'm sure you would have touched about this in sort of your, your childbirth talks, but it's not unusual for women postnatally to experience a bit of a change in their pelvic floor and bladder function. 
and the reduced estrogen levels after the menopause can mean that women who've actually got away with it can find that things are significantly worse. A big area of menopausal symptoms is also the effects that it has on the brain and cognition. So women will often talk about brain fog. That tends to be the key word that if you mention it to people, they'll say, yeah, absolutely. You know, this idea that your brain just isn't functioning as well as it normally would. And that some women experience difficulties with things like finding the right word for stuff. Or again, the stereotypical, you see it on terrible TV sitcoms, middle-aged women losing their keys, losing their handbag, not remembering where they put stuff. What's been particularly interesting about working during the pandemic is that I have had women who are definitely experiencing menopausal symptoms and very much experiencing things like brain fog, but they've sort of explained it away with the idea that life is very different at the moment. They're not doing the things they would normally do to keep themselves sharp, and maybe their brain just isn't functioning quite as well as it is. But then we get them some treatment for their other menopausal symptoms and they suddenly realise that they're just able to function an awful lot better. Um, and it can be a really important thing for women in the workplace. I've had patients really feel that they just can't cope with doing their job anymore and there's just something wrong with them and maybe they've been promoted above their experience. Well, it's not the case at all. They're working really well. It's just that their brain isn't functioning how it should be. And it's all hormonal. Well, we put up with such a lot, don't we, women? I mean, I mm -hmm. speak to women who put up with incontinence and yes. think, oh, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't, you know, it's not the end of the world if I'm using incontinence pads. And you think, no, we live in the UK in 2022. We can do something about it. And it's unacceptable that you should be, you know, toughing it out. It's so unacceptable. And you sort of look at the adverts for well-known brands of incontinence underwear. And quite often, the women on those adverts are reasonably young. And it's a calculated decision by the advertisers to appeal to those millions of women out there who do have a little bit of a leak or just don't go on the trampoline with their kids because they know that they'll, you know, their pelvic floor is not as good as it should be. And unfortunately, one of the big menopausal problems is that Oestrogen has a really protective effect on the pelvic floor. And so vaginal dryness, your bladder not working quite as well as it normally would do, and more urinary tract infections, particularly after sex, all fit with this menopausal loss of oestrogen. And it's really important to get it sorted. Because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are in their 40s who say, yeah, I mean, I definitely recognise, you know, yeah, I am waking up a little bit earlier and, you know, I, uh, I I have experienced a bit of vaginal dryness, but it's not the end of the world. It's not really impacting their lives. At what point would you say that, you know, there's that kind of now I should get help? Because I think so yeah. many women just think, well, do you know, what? I've had brain fog since my children were born, quite frankly, yeah. because yes. I was sleep deprived um, and I'm busy and actually I need to take the kids to the dentist and the kids to do this and actually I don't have time to see anyone. But, you know, at what point are those symptoms too much? So it's a really individual thing. And I think you sum that up really well there, because so often women are putting everyone else first and just soldiering on and getting on with it and not feeling their best self. And I mean, one of the most rewarding things that I ever do as a gynecologist is seeing women for an HRT follow-up. Yes, sometimes it takes some time to get sort of the right cocktail of stuff, 
but seeing them and have them realize how much better they feel and how there've been all these little things, you know, even things like joint aches, which can be menopause symptoms, that they just put down to aging and now they're on some HRT. They feel fantastic. When you need to get help really does depend on how you're feeling. I think in the sort of confusion and mess and busyness of everyday life, we sometimes really do forget to think about these things. But just having, an, there are lots of apps out there on the market or just an old fashioned calendar and just recording your symptoms. You know, how many nights you actually sleep well and wake up feeling refreshed what's happening with your periods because you know if they're going very very wonky and heaviness of flow is affecting your daily activity when you've got your period or even if just you've really gone off sex and can't remember the last time you had a good sexual experience and that starts happening happening more and more often then it probably is time to do something about it um when i mention apps there is an excellent app called the balance app by a doctor called louise newson and it's really simple you just find yourself recording what's going on and you can just see how things change over time and who do we speak to like what is our I'm gonna, i want to talk about what the treatment is yeah. but if we've decided that we probably do need to talk to someone is who who do you talk to is it your gp is it a gynecologist um is there something that's available on the nhs mm. so the first port of call for virtually every woman in this country will be their nhs gp and actually there are lots and lots of gps out there who have a real interest in this and are real experts it might not be the gp that you usually see at your surgery but it is worth having a look at their website or you know, having a quiet conversation with one of the receptionists about whether there's a GP at your practice that would be interested. Um, the vast majority of women in the UK have their menopause entirely managed by their GP and get on very well with it that way. There are NHS menopause clinics. Unfortunately, provision can be quite patchy in different parts of the country and waiting lists can be quite long. But if there are women who have more medical complexities than their GP quite reasonably is happy managing through the menopause and they get seen by them and have a really good service. There are lots of women out there who, you know, quite reasonably do not want to wait um, and want to be seen quickly. And my suggestion is looking at the British Menopause Society website, which has a list of accredited menopause specialists. And you can have a look and see if you can find one in your area. And these are doctors, um, I've done their training, who go through a training course. So you're sort of supervised seeing patients by a trainer and do some theoretical learning as well. And are charged with staying up to date with current practice. And the idea is that, you know, you can see them, get a bit of an assessment and then potentially sometimes have your care transferred back to your NHS GP. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, um, and what is the treatment? So say you do go and see someone and you think, well, actually, I do feel that these symptoms are kind of starting to impact on my life. That What would be the process? Would they first start off with doing a blood test or would they start treating you straight away? So really interestingly, if you look at the NICE Guidelines. So the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which are the guidelines used by doctors all over the UK on absolutely everything that you can think of, they suggest not starting with a blood test. If you're over 45 with menopausal symptoms, just go straight for some HRT. Now, taking a history is really important because there are some medical conditions that overlap. If a woman is having horrible, horrible night sweats um, and perhaps has a loss of appetite and is losing weight, actually you want to think about things like the thyroid. But provided they've got normal menopausal symptoms, get on with some HRT. Um, It's also really important to think about lifestyle measures that people can take as well. So hot flushes are sometimes prompted by alcohol and caffeine. And so simple things like reducing how much of that you're taking in can make a big difference to how you're feeling. Optimizing weight is quite important as well. Um, And just taking a moment to have a bit of sort of a holistic overall, I'm in my 40s or 50s, what modifiable risk factors are there for the health of the rest of my life? And can we take a moment to look at that? And so you've mentioned um, HRT, mm. and I know that there are a lot of people that are very worried about HRT. There feels that there, it feels like there's been sort of quite a lot of mixed messaging in the press about is it a benefit? Are there risks? Could you explain what HRT is and why why would people be frightened of, of taking it? Yeah, so it's a really difficult one, and there are, you're right. There are some really confusing messages out there. And it almost seems that as doctors, we change our minds all the time. And one moment it's, yes, it's great. And the next, a study comes out all over the front pages of the newspaper, you know, absolutely don't do it. Um, not everyone needs it. Uh, there was a fantastic documentary on Channel 4, gosh, at some point last year, fronted by Davina McCool, where she talked about the need for HRT being very much like replacing a deficiency. You know, if you're deficient in hormones and you're not feeling very well because of that, well, you take some hormones and you feel better. And that's something that we accept for thyroid disease, for example, very, very straightforward. Now, in terms of how it works, the problem during the menopause is that your estrogen levels just aren't as high as they would were before. And so you're experiencing these symptoms. And so what we want to do is to replace some estrogen and you can do that in a variety of different ways you can do that in pills patches creams um to uh, gels and the idea is that once your body is getting a bit more estrogen your symptoms will improve for most women you will also need to add some progesterone and that is because if you're just giving estrogen to women with a uterus it can cause thickening of the lining of the uterus, the endometrium, the bit that basically bleeds and gives you periods in an uncontrollable way. So then we add some progesterone 
And then for some women, particularly those with a low libido, we also add some testosterone. Now, in terms of risks, we know that HRT is a good thing when it comes to controlling symptoms of the menopause. There are some prescribable alternatives out there, but it really is the best thing to make you feel better. It can be a bit trial and error starting it. Not every preparation works for every woman, but we tend to get there eventually. And there's also a real benefit when it comes to bone mineral density. So women at risk of um, brittle bone disease, osteoporosis, can also really benefit from being on some HRT. Um, it then gets a little bit more complicated depending on exactly what type of HRT you're taking. But women will often come and see me concerned that if they take HRT, they've got an increased risk of blood clots in the legs or the lungs. Now, that's very much true if you're taking a tablet estrogen, but we can get around that by giving people estrogen through the skin instead. And so in gels or patches, and that does not increase the risk of blood clotting. There is a possible increase in the risk of heart disease if you're starting HRT after the age of 60. But conversely, if you start HRT relatively young, so within 10 years of the start of the menopause, then it might even decrease your risk of heart disease. There's possibly a benefit when it comes to Alzheimer's disease and colorectal cancer as well. I think the big one that most women will tell you they're worried about is the risk of breast cancer. And again, this is where individualized care and taking a really good history and looking at people's personal risk factors is really particularly important. But combined HRT, so an estrogen and a progesterone, does increase the risk of breast cancer. And so for a woman in her 50s, that increases from about 23 cases per thousand to about 27 cases per thousand. Now, as a doctor who deals with risk and statistics all the time, I personally think that that's a really good trade-off for potentially feeling fantastically well. But I don't like to dismiss that risk because for a woman with a strong family history of breast cancer or who have lost friends to it reasonably young, that's a risk. And women need to have a, you know, a proper discussion ideally nice and calm, not hurried, and some time to think about these things. But those tend to be the things that people worry about most. And if you are on um, HRT, would you be screened more frequently for breast cancer? Does it affect your, your, your screening? Good question. So no, um, you wouldn't be screened more frequently. And I, I think that's quite important to, to remember. Actually, there is a good mammogram screening program in the NHS, and it tends to be women of HRT prescribing age who end up going to go and have their screening mammograms. We don't think that there is any need for increased surveillance. If you think about that increase in risk, it really is very small. And actually, you can decrease your risk of breast cancer even more by that than that increase by making sure you maintain a healthy body weight, thinking about your alcohol intake, taking up a bit more exercise, there's a real balance to it. And I think, you know, having a good chat with your doctor about whether there are any other ways you can cut the risk of developing breast cancer is far more helpful than going for extra mammograms, which as a screening test actually, you know, do convey a tiny bit of risk from the x-rays used. And so, you know, I, I think one has to be very careful about that. And if you decide to take our HRT, obviously, you know, in partnership with your doctor, how quickly do you feel the sort of positive effects? How, how quick is it? So it's really, really variable. Um, I have 
plenty of patients who will say that 10 days later, you know, they suddenly had a really good night's sleep and they felt absolutely fantastic. But there, I usually suggest that my patients check in with me about three months later. And there are some women who at the three month point still aren't quite right. Now, that's partially because there is a huge dose range when it comes to HRT. I have lots of women who are on, you know, three or four times more HRT than the next woman I'll see in clinic. And when I say three or four times more HRT, what I'm really talking about is the estrogen dose. So I might, my classic example, and I tell this to patients all the time, the very young menopause patients that I meet through the DAISY network, I do some online advice for them, are sometimes on six pumps of the estrogen gel that we prescribe for our patients. Now, a normal starting dose for a woman at average menopause age would be kind of two or three pumps a day. And one of my favorite patients is in her 90s and uses one pump every other day. And so within that, you know, we've got actually got a factor of 12 there across the age range. And so sometimes it's just a case of thinking about a little bit more estrogen or a different estrogen or just different ways of taking things. Um, an individualized approach is really, really important. And I think we have to be honest with women about that. You know, don't throw in the towel if after a few months you're not suddenly feeling better. It does sometimes take a bit of time. And so when we're talking about, we've talked about all the side effects, but obviously one of the kind of positives um, about the menopause is that we don't need to think about contraception. Or yes. is that true? Is that another thing? <laughs> Well, no, it's, it's a really, really interesting one because every gynecologist has got a story about a patient who has surprised twins in their 50s. Um, it does happen. So there are some very clear rules on this that doctors tend to follow. Um, it basically, if you are less than 50 and your periods have stopped, then you need to wait for two years before stopping contraception. If you are sort of over 50 and your periods haven't happened for a year, you can stop contraception. And if you're an outlier and still having periods in your mid 50s, then after 55, you can stop your hormone replacement therapy. Now, HRT is not a contraceptive. It's really important to remember that. And the way around this is that if you have a Mirena coil as part of your HRT, so you can use that for your uterus protective progesterone, then you're covered for contraception. But there are lots of women in whom I start HRT and we add in an extra form of contraception. So that might be a copper coil, it might be the progesterone only pill on top of their HRT. Um, but it's definitely something that needs thinking about. Some women will be happy to use condoms. Um, I mean, I think something that we will be talking about is sex and the menopause. Um, and unfortunately, lots of women do find that they are having a bit less sex. And so therefore, you know, occasionally using condoms is less of an issue. But it's something that's really important to think about. Mm. And do you need to still have smear tests on after the menopause or during the menopause? So good question. Um, the cervical screening program in the UK ceases at 65. So yes. For most women, their last few smear tests will be after their periods have stopped. Now, this can be quite uncomfortable. 
Um, one of the big problems with going through the menopause for absolutely everyone, sexually active or not, can be a bit of vaginal dryness. And it can be a bit harder to get a good smear test sample just because the dryness of the vaginal skin makes the process a bit more uncomfortable and it makes it a little bit more difficult to analyze in the lab. So lots of women who aren't on traditional hormone replacement therapy who go for smear tests might be advised by their doctor to try a little bit of vaginal estrogen cream before they have their smear tests to make that process a bit less uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's really important to keep up with that if you still have a cervix. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we mentioned you mentioned sex, and I think mm -hmm. that is one of the kind of big fears. Actually, you hear again that you know women whose sex drive totally dries up, and that can have implications in terms of their self worth, the relationship they have with their partner. Um, is this does this universally happen, or is it something that happens less than we might think? So it doesn't universally happen. I think one of the real things that you learn about the menopause is how different everyone's experiences are. You know, not everyone has every symptom. Some people do present with the classic hot flushes, night sweats, not interested in sex. For other women, it's all about headaches, itchy skin, and changes in their bladder function. And really working out, you know, what what the problems are and how we can help is so important. Something that has been licensed for low female sexual desire during the menopause is testosterone replacement, and it's becoming increasingly popular. There's this idea that if you replace the testosterone, then your sex drive is likely to be boosted. Now, yes, it's excellent, and I have lots of patients who are very, very happy using it, but I think it's so important to remember that female sexuality and female sex drive is really, really multifactorial. If you've got horrible vaginal dryness and you have a UTI every time you have sex, you're not going to want more sex. And if you've got vaginal dryness and sex is painful and your partner realizes that you're not really enjoying it anymore and it's very uncomfortable, then of course your sex drive is going to change. Then there are all the other things that we've mentioned. If you're not sleeping well and your mood's not quite what it normally is, then sex will quite often be, you know, not your main priority. Giving a bit of hormone replacement therapy, obviously, with, with or without testosterone can be helpful. But other things to make sex as comfortable as possible are really important. So making sure that you use a lubricant, for example, and thinking about some vaginal estrogen, which doesn't get absorbed systemically, so it isn't proper hormone replacement therapy, but can make a real difference to how things feel down below is really important too. Alongside that, communication with your partner, talking about what's happening is so, so, so important. And then, you know, this is often the age at which men start experiencing problems with their sex drive um, and sometimes mechanical problems as well. So sex and the menopause, yep, it's something that we really do need to talk about and to remember how important having a good sex life can be for lots and lots of women. And does sex, does your sex life change then after the menopause is finished or have you sort of dried up by then? <laughs> <laughs> so there are millions of women in their 70s and 80s and even older having a good, happy, satisfying sex life. Um, and, you know, conversely, there are lots and lots of really young women having a pretty miserable sex life as well. And I think it's really important never to make assumptions. 
But the thing that we can do as gynecologists and when it comes to hormone replacement therapy is try and do things to make sex as comfortable as possible. Because if you're having good sex, you will want more of it. Um, and whether that is thinking really carefully about good lubrication, whether that's thinking about some hormone replacement therapy, or whether for some couples it's talking therapy, psychosexual therapy, other ways of being intimate. You know, there are plenty of things out there and no one should be saying that sex is over as soon as your periods stop. Absolutely not. Well, we probably also need to get better at talking about sex as a yes. as a society because you know I I, I, talk, I talk about it on on the bump class the whole time and we just say you know to women you know prepare your partner that you're probably not going to have sex for the first six weeks at least and then even you know the likelihood is you're absolutely not going to want and if if they understand that it's not you but it's your body being like do not get pregnant because your body right. has locked on to the fact that contraception exists it's much easier to understand than you know oh she's you know she's gone off me but you know i guess we do need to be having that conversation amongst you know couples but also that understanding that sort of sexual desire sort of ebbs and flows a bit it really really does you know, even in the best happiest relationships there will be time when couples are very very sexual and there's lots of sex and there'll be times when there isn't and just preparing well I suppose education knowing that those hormonal changes that are coming up it's not just about the obvious things it's also about things like anxiety some people get menopausal anxiety it's about sleep um, it's about how well people feel in, feel in themselves that can really influence how much sex they want. And then, I mean, obviously, you know, understanding that the menopause is something that passes. Are you on HRT for the rest of your life or do you eventually come off it? No. So if you have chosen to be on HRT, the guiding principle that we work on to be as safe as possible is using the lowest dose required to control symptoms for the shortest amount of time that it's needed. So... For some women, it's just a few years, um, or perhaps even shorter, and they decide that they would like to stop, um, and they wean off it, and they're absolutely fine. For some women, there are health events that will occur during their 50s and 60s that mean that they have to reassess whether they need to be or should be on HRT or not. Um, what I usually say to my patients is that once they are stable on a dose of HRT and happy and their symptoms are well controlled, what they need is a bit of an annual health MOT. And that's looking at things like cholesterol level as much and blood, blood pressure as much as it is looking at their menopausal symptoms. Because if we've developed new modifiable risk factors for overall health, well, perhaps we need to adjust those or perhaps we need to have a talk about whether HRT is the right thing to do or not. But there is no maximum length for taking hormone replacement therapy. And if everything's going well, women feel better being on it and they feel that it's a good thing for their health and their life, then keep going. And do you, in your experience, do sort of complementary treatments help, you know, the sort of more holistic approaches? So it's a really, really difficult one. Um, as a doctor... I will admit that I do take a very medical view on this. And one of the reasons that I like prescribable HRT so much is that you know exactly what you are getting. Um, we prescribe a preparation with a set dose of things that we know in there. 
And if things aren't quite right, we can modify how much we're giving. We can do blood tests to check levels and see how things are going and work with that. And the sort of holistic lifestyle things that I tend to really, you know, work with are thinking carefully, as I've already mentioned, about smoking cessation, maintaining a healthy weight, reducing alcohol consumption, increasing exercise. Now, there are supplements out there that do have evidence of working. So the soy isoflavones, um, and there's a preparation called black cohosh, which is quite popular, and you'll probably read about if you sort of look at some of the more holistic menopause blogs. One of the problems with any supplement, though, is it's very hard to know exactly what you're getting in it in terms of sort of dose quantities um, and concentrations. And actually, HRT is safe and it works really well. So for most women, that should be the thing that they're aiming for. Diet is quite important. Um, So again, I don't like to worry too much about sticking, you know, rigidly to certain foods or going vegan, for example. I think a balanced diet is really, really important. But a gut-friendly, low GI carb diet with plenty of calcium and vitamin D probably is a good thing. Um, But I don't think there's enough evidence out there to tell women to exclude whole groups of food or to, you know, religiously eat certain things all the time. Um, I think it's all about balance and moderation. And what about things like acupuncture and reflexology? So they can be really, really helpful from a relaxing, taking time for yourself point of view. And you know what? I think they work wonderfully alongside HRT for a lot of women. I think it's very unusual to find people who are able to manage their symptoms completely just with those methodologies, though there will be people out there. And this is the extraordinary thing about the world of the menopause, that things are so different for different women. But gosh, anything that gives you an hour or so to yourself to really look after your whole being and relax you who can say no to that it's a wonderful thing to do yeah exactly and actually I think women do need to slightly take some time I often describe women who I'm teaching I say think of yourself as the RSJ of the building because if you've collapsed then no one else stands a chance you're holding everything up and absolutely yes and in terms of the cost of, of HRT, is this something that is available on the NHS? Are there prescription charges? How much does it cost to be on HRT? So that's a really, really good question. Um, any, but, so HRT is prescribable by your NHS GP, and that is where the vast majority of women should be getting their HRT from. Now, There are women who go outside that system slightly and will have their HRT prescribed by a private gynecologist and private pharmacies will charge, well, charge more for a private prescription most of the time. And so what I will often say to my patients once we are stable on a dose of HRT is to, you know, politely ask their NHS GP if they could, if this could be put on their repeat prescriptions. Unfortunately, there is a real inequality when it comes to HRT. So most women are on an estrogen and a progesterone to make one HRT system, and they will be charged separate prescription charges for each of those. So it effectively costs twice as much as being on a prescription for antidepressants, for example. And this can be a real issue with women on a low income. There is a lot of campaigning work going on and the DAISY network are really working with this at the moment because our 
our young menopause patients, HRT is not an option, it's not a lifestyle benefit, it's an essential part of maintaining a healthy life. And being charged a double prescription fee, I think it's completely unacceptable. The women who get around this are those who have a Mirena coil fitted. So if you've got your progesterone already inside you for five lovely years and you're just topping up with estrogen, that is, you know, just one extra thing. But I mean, I cynically can't help but wonder that if men went through the menopause, this would just be something prescribed for free, um, a bit like contraceptives are. But there we go. That's a, it's a complex argument. A complex argument. And hopefully we live in a world where that will change quite soon. I really, really do hope that it will. Yeah. Rebecca, this has been so informative and it's been so lovely chatting to you. You know, I think that I, I certainly feel it. Like menopause is something I've never looked forward to and I feel sort of on my doorstep. But actually, it's been so lovely to have this really relaxed chat that suddenly makes me feel actually really grateful to be living at a time when it's not like we just have to bear that burden. We can actually do something about it. And the more we know about it, the more likely we are to have an easier ride of it. I, yeah, I, I feel very, very grateful for that as well. I, there is no need to suffer with it i think if you are getting getting down about it or if you have symptoms that are affecting your life at least go and talk to someone about it you might decide that there are little tweaks that you can make that make everything a bit different but there's no reason to be scared of hrt and for millions of women it really does make their lives so much better yeah and i am always from now on going to refer to it as achieving the menopause because i think that's think a so. brilliant way to think about it <laughs> yes let, let, let's launch a campaign to rebrand it. It, it it's an achievement it's a new stage of life and it it's a privilege to get there it's absolutely Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you also to the Portland Hospital for sponsoring this podcast. To find out more about the services for women and children offered by the Portland, you can visit theportlandhospital.com. And thank you all for listening to this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. But in the meantime, from Rebecca and me, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Hi, thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.